Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Hello, welcome to You Love to See It. Today, it's just me and Caleb. Zach is on the toilet, <laughs> as Marion Cotillard might say. <laughs> um, he's unfortunately sick. So today, it's just going to be Caleb and I discussing Leos Carax's Annette, a movie that I feel like I've been obnoxious about for the past month has it been a month it's been a month only a month (laughs) uh i don't know i've just i've been getting this secondhand hype it feels like i don't know for for a long time which made me super thrilled when i saw the final product boo i don't what i feel like you are not thrilled no at all. uh by some parts i was i was thrilled i would say and others left me <laughs> in a state of shall we say deja vu deja vu uh miss olivia <laughs> deja vu in its uh shall we say repetition which is something i think we'll be getting into a bit today oh we getting into it would be an understatement we'll be going (laughs) deep (laughs) very well like adam's tongue wow that's yeah that is far factually correct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so eric for the uninitiated who is annette well, Annette, Annette is a lot of things, but in the context of Annette, the film, Annette is a baby doll who is the child of Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard in Leos Caracas' film, Annette. Adam Driver plays Henry McHenry, who is a stand-up comedian who is problematic to say the least and Baron Cotillard plays a soprano who performs regularly with what I'm assuming is the LA Phil in various operas and together they combine to form the beautiful mixture of song and dance that is Annette which is entirely sung through and absolutely crazy um the film generally centers around uh, Henry McHenry and Anne Defragnu's relationship, sort of in a, a Stars Born type manner. And then there's like a secondary Stars Born plot later as Adam Driver helps Annette's career grow and even surpass his own. And 
what's special about this movie, I think, especially in today's cinematic climate, is that it's a sung through musical, meaning essentially everything you hear on screen is music. I will uh, never sing again. Including Baby Annette, the singer, proclaiming tragically she will never sing again. Uh, Eric, what's so good about a sung through musical? I mean, you say it's unique to this climate, but I was just thinking, I can't think of a single other sung through musical other than Umbrellas at Shepard. I can't think of a single one. Yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, they're pro- they're def- they definitely exist. But. I'm sure, yeah. I think it was, it's just, I think it would appear as an even more novel concept today with the sheer lack of risk-taking that we there we go in our movie theaters. Um, uh, and especially just generally, we see fewer musicals. Uh, yeah, that's true. As well. Musicals are definitely like an old Hollywood staple, not one of the modern day. I mean, for me, when I think of a song through musical, I think the way I look at them is less as a musical and more as a melodrama. Like when you think of a melodrama, it's all about heightened emotions, like things that don't necessarily make narrative sense, but make like emotional sense, heightened colors, heightened visuals. And when everything's sung through, that's pretty much what that does. Like you think of, Umbrellas of Sherbrooke has its colors and everything, but it's really the singing that makes all of the emotions in that so moving and so over the top. It's this heightened sense of urgency to everything that's going on. And that's that's pretty much what goes on here. Every single word being sung, it's not meant to evoke the like song, like song by song sort of set piece like that a musical has. It's meant to be constant. Like it's meant to be constant like heightened emotional states it's meant to complement the elements of a melodrama that's that's what i think it's something that i i that i wish we'd see more often because it's like one of my favorite things in the world but you know what's interesting about this movie too i think i've seen very few like genuine like rock operas Mm -hmm. like it's not like it is sort of like classic musical inspired, like like definitely. Like he, I think he thanks Sondheim at the end of the movie, right? But it's it like Sparks is also at its core like sort of a rock band. They take cool influence. Like I mean, also part of this reason too. Like like they also thank Bartok at the end. Like they thank Bartok. There's Mahler in there. Like there's clear influences from like so many genres of music in this movie that you don't see and that you don't normally see all adds to the the gusto of it, I guess. Interesting. Uh, Would you say that uh, the constant nature of the music compromises quality of that music or is it more important to you that you maintain the the constant uh, playing of music in order to to keep that energy and keep everything heightened. And in that sense, maybe the 
the quality of the music and especially perhaps in my opinion the lyrics uh you know leave that secondary uh because just the constant nature is more important i mean for me like i think when i think of it, like for this movie for example i don't think the co- the quality of the music is compromised i i mean i think of it like i think one of the ways i thought of how this movie really got to me which i'm just going to say it up front i gave five stars to is i mean this this is the like i think the only movie that i've seen that i can think of that accurately reflects the way it feels like to play like a legitimate like full symphony like this is like music at a constant level like this it's not meant to be constant like it is constantly heightened but by having it be all musical there there are highs and lows like music has modulation too like it has big moments of catharsis like Anne's opera in the middle in the very near the first act of this movie and sings this huge opera to this um to this uh, opera that I think the Sparks Brothers wrote themselves. And it's called The Forest. It's this huge melodic, as I said before, like Mahler, like moments of like late romantic, like early 20th century classical, like extravaganza. But it also has moments like I'm an accompanist, which plays, I think, directly before that, which is like, oh no, a a little more low key, like a little more low key, it's less melodic, it's sort of meant to bridge, but it it works. Like it sounds good, you know. It's like those moments where it doesn't seem like the music is as flashy have their own subtle like emotional modulations within them as well. And like the highs and lows and those small changes, which frankly I can't describe very well, but still feel are are part of what make movies like this special. I mean, I think for lyrics, that's definitely like a drawback, but that for me at least goes back to me thinking about this more as a melodrama than anything else. Like it's a melodrama where every single piece of dialogue is sung as opposed to a musical that also incorporates aspects of a melodrama, which I think from what it sounds like is how you sort of took it. It's interesting you say that it's a melodrama where every piece of dialogue is sung because that's more how I, felt about umbrellas uh where it really just felt like it was dialogue set to music just something that uh, i which because it, it really just felt like dialogue and not lyrics it made me question why is everything set to music uh even though i i really liked umbrellas here i felt like it for the most part wasn't dialogue that it was more an attempt at lyrics and so everything that we were hearing was more like song than just you know melodrama set to music uh but it didn't feel the lyrics didn't feel for the most part very poetic or even lyrical i think a lot of it was just telling us what we already see observation uh in in literal terms uh perhaps the most obvious example is is the uh is the birthing scene uh, push and push exactly and 
And I think there was just so much repetition that it, that kind of took me out of the moment because it, it felt like an attempt at lyrics, but at the same time, it was so repetitive. I guess the prime example of that is we love each other <laughs> so much, though I think that had a more thematic purpose behind all the repetition, whereas something like Six Women uh, it didn't that that just felt like more, you know, just just repetition for repetition's sake because that's what we're doing in this movie. So because it wasn't straight dialogue, but the lyrics were more repetition than you know poetic narrative flowing lyrics. I kind of felt stuck in this awkward middle ground where. I wish they had chosen a path to really delve in and create clever, witty, story-like lyrics or, you know, just even go the Umbrellas route and, uh, and, and go dialogue because I think that a good dialogue set to music is still better than this repetitive, <laughs> uh, these, these repetitive lyrics. And I think the reason for all this was because the sparks you can clearly tell have a lot of musical ideas here. And a lot of that is effective, but I think they just didn't have as many lyrical ideas, but they weren't willing to cut musical ideas to prevent the repetition of lyrical ideas to, to, to keep things more even. And because of that, I think the, the lyrics were kind of sacrificed in order to play out the entirety of, of the musical, uh, the musical enormity. I agree. I mean, I, I think clearly the main issue, like issue that I, 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 I probably didn't care about it, but the main issue with this movie is the writing. Like I, I think, the lyrics are I I'm I'm okay with repetition and the lyrics mainly because I'm I'm a hoe for repetition, like I I mean like when we talked about like in the heights like I love it like when like music starts to feel like a mantra like I I personally didn't mind that even though I can see where you're coming from but I mean the first the entire first half of this movie is various little segments of songs honestly sort of like a musical like a traditional musical with little snippets of the showbiz news providing all the exposition in between. Um, so, I think your audio cut out there for a second. This is where Zach does his recording editing magic and saves us from, as we'll call it, the pain. Can you hear me? Sure can. Okay, wait, what was I even saying? Okay, well, I didn't care too much about the lyrics. Um, I don't know, I, I just didn't mind because I was so just on the wave of the like audio of it itself, I guess. That, that's what I, like, personally for me, like I was so on board with the audio and the visuals of this movie 
and I was so in tune like emotionally with the way that was moving that at a certain point I I, I just didn't care about the lyrics and the lyrics were fine enough for me that's that's that's, that's the gist of it mm. and I, I find myself getting in that mode very easily with movies perhaps e- like perhaps easier than you normally get to with a lot with movies yeah I wish I I, I at a certain point when I realized that this is what it was going to be I I found myself wishing that I could just let it go. I think, well, I think what you're talking about too is also something that to me occurs more in the first half of the movie, which in my mind tries to be more meta than the second movie. Like, like in my mind, we love each other so much, that song, which basically only includes the lyrics of we love each other so much is supposed to be a play on something in like a normal musical, like a, I don't know, like a meet me in St. Louis or like a singing in the rain where they have where like the leads have this number in like the first act of the movie where they talk about how much they're falling in love with each other like it's this and to me like obviously I feel like I go this route with every single like meta element in movies but like to me at least for this song in particular I I don't think it necessarily fits with six women or um or She's Out of This World, which is the birthing song. Um, a lot of the meta elements from like, we love each other so much to the character-like depiction of both Anne and Henry. And for example, the stupid sort of like, I saved them, I killed them is all sort of like an anti-sentimentality tactic. Like it's the movie itself going like, I know that I'm not original. I know that this has been done before. It's like trying to prevent itself from feeling its own sentimentality. And I think by the time it gets to the second half of the movie and the movie starts to focus fully on the baby Annette, like the movie gets, at least to me, like the repetition that you're talking about gets a lot less. And it's definitely more in the mode that I was talking about before of sung dialogue. Yeah, I definitely think that we love each other so much has that thematic uh, pull that that doesn't necessarily group it in with with the rest. I, I yeah, I, I think it's it's very funny. It just if that was the only song with with such repetition, then I might even think it's like a brilliant I honestly think we love song. each other so much is I think it's genius. Yeah, and I, it's so good. Like it sounds so it's so beautiful. Literally, you could hear me after, I've seen this movie three times in the past week. I was, I was driving out of Lincoln Square Station, top of my car open, fully like, like belting, fully belting, giving them a show. So wow. we love each other I can't so much. believe I wasn't there for that. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually, I would be inclined to agree that it is, it is a really genius idea if if the 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 crux of it wasn't used so frequently elsewhere it may i think it kind of undermines the 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 brilliance of it because it makes you question uh is you know is this repetition here to underscore the 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 absurdity of this relationship and foreshadow the the downfall and 
satirize other uh, stories where these relationships form quickly. And I don't know when you, when, when that same element that provides you with those ideas is used elsewhere where the ideas don't exist or are different, then it makes you, makes me start to question everything. Unfortunately. Mm. I guess I'd never got the feeling of repetition from those other two songs that you mentioned. I, I just didn't, I just like didn't feel that that's what they were going for in those sections. Like those, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel that. Like, it seems like we, we love each other so much is like almost very standalone in that specific type of repetition that it's doing. Like, like, I don't know. Cause like when she's giving birth, there's, there's whole things where like Adam Driver's making comments going like, like, babe, like, I think the baby's naked. And it's like, yes, laugh. That's right. Like, I don't know. There's sections to it. Um, I can sort of see it in six women, like, but it's only for the beginning section. It's like, and it doesn't repeat too many times. Like six women, I'll come forward, all of the similar story. And then it's, um, and then it goes to the, um, and then it go it like cuts to black and it's those like in individual close-ups of all the women talking about how they're scared for Anne in this mm -hmm. Me Too dream sequence. Like, oh no, those two movies in my mind don't employ repetition in the same way. Sure. I would say definitely not exactly the same way, but because I think there's just so much repetition generally, it still cuts into my perception. Even the opening song, so, uh, so May We Start, is super repetitive. And that's a song that, I, that I've found myself listening to uh, regardless. But I think just overall, it really adds up. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that, that really works for you, where it just uh, kind of wore on me more that's fair i mean i think for me the thing about this movie is that it's like i think it is a movie that like as it like sort of with its meta elements like almost like <laughs> the fact that it like it has this loose story but clearly doesn't care about it um and the fact that it like is trying to like part of the story is sort of like henry McHenry trying not to stare into the abyss and like realize pretty much how fucked he is, right? Like, is like the fact that there is that resistance and that resistance is met with what is just like ridiculous, like music and ridiculous visuals that make you go like, oh shit, like, of course you're gonna give into the abyss. <laughs> like at the end, like, that's what I find so like incredible. Like, this is a movie that feels so, so big to me. Like, mm -hmm. this is like the largest scale movie I think I've, seen in a long time like in terms of like how much movie it is like like this is like this is a movie you know like this is this is a movie this is a movie to, I'm sad that it's not like getting a, such a wide release because this is a movie that like I feel like you just have to see in the theater like this is a movie that if you watched on your home screen would just not be as good flat out yeah I don't think anybody will argue with you that this is a movie for sure uh, and no i mean like a, a theatrically deserving absolutely um, it's like i don't know you, you get those tacky showbiz sequences 
but like that tell you about their marriage. Like the entire first half of this movie is literally like a little sequence of Henry like doing his performance and showbiz. It's like they're married. Like and then five minutes later, it's like they're pregnant, and then ten minutes later, it's like they're going on a yacht. But you believe it because it's like you can you can because you can feel it and how like how huge the emotions are. Speaking of showbiz news, which this is a question I've I've been thinking about. <laughs> which which news or uh, which news source would you prefer to get your news from if you could only choose one? Showbiz news or CMZ? It's an unfair question because it's both. CMZ, but the cast singing Greek chorus style like showbiz news. Wow. I want to see Eric Andre laughing for five minutes in song. <laughs> like they could make a whole little like song and dance out of their sippy cups. And I would be there front row. They won. Wow. And that's something I hadn't considered. Baby Annette headliner. Baby Annette would headline that one and Rihanna could headline the solos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's switch gears for a bit and talk about some performances. Uh, because when there's so much movie, as we discussed, there's there's got to be people to to bring that to life. So here we have uh, Adam Driver, the very physical and emotional performance as Henry McHenry, and then we have. Uh, Marianne Cotillard starring alongside him as Anne Desfranu. <laughs> thank, thank you, French that I never took. Um, how did you think they carried or didn't the movie, and how they make it as? How did they help to make it into this giant thing? I mean, Driver clearly is the center here. I wasn't expect like I think if like going on with the way the movie doesn't care about the story and the and the story sort of knows what it's doing. Like Marion Cochard sort of gets tossed off halfway through. Um, but I That's thought she was too. good. Um, but I mean, Adam Driver is so huge in this movie that he sort of smothers anything else that can possibly be there. I mean, I thought, among other things, I talked about orchestra earlier. I thought his performance was part of this too, but like, this is the only movie I got that gives me the feeling of like playing in a huge symphony. This is also one of the only movies I got where I felt like I was watching like and feeling the real energy of like watching live theater. And I think that's partially because of his performance as well as the visual like energy of this movie. But he is electric in this movie. Like I, all of his comedy, like his comedy skits, like they're so high energy and so hard to watch, but you also sort of can't look away because it's him and he's being so physical. I, yeah, I think he's great in this. And when you, when you get to the end of the movie and he is battered and beaten and like, it's like in a darker sort of more mellow tone, like you believe it. Like when he says like, at the end of the movie, when he's like, when he has nothing to love anymore, you're like, damn, like I, this feels real. Like as over the top as 
Henry McHenry beatbox, like it's like spontaneously beatboxing and showing his booty cheeks in the first like 10 minutes of the movie is like you believe it at the end when he like rests his head against the wall. It makes sense. I definitely agree. Especially what you said about live theater. I I definitely got that energy as well. Um thanks to driver's performance and to the direction as well uh for example during his stand-up sets uh crox keeps the camera pretty far back for the most part really puts you in the audience where i think a lot of directors would be tempted to especially in a movie that's Mm -hmm. all about or that, that places such a big emphasis on exciting visuals i think a lot of directors would be tempted to cut in and cut close and really capture you know, Henry's face, you know, I can easily see a shot, you know, dripping sweat, the light right above, you know, shining down on him. I think that would be a really obvious, easy choice to make, but I really like how, I really like the distance that, that we often experienced uh, in the theater on the screen especially moving back and forth mm-hmm. with with henry it's so really... graceful it's mm-hmm. unobtrusive yes absolutely but it's graceful like i think this is like such a visually dynamic movie but i never thought of it as distracting from the whole i never like i, I was it's like a movie that like like the music is the visuals are all like almost constantly heightened to the point where they never like they never distract like Literally, like, I feel like in any other movie, that entire yacht sequence where they have the um, crazy water, the rear projection might distract me. Or like, I mean, or literally, I think last, was it literally last week where we talked about huge pans feeling out of place and self, like, self-reflexive? Mm-hmm. I don't feel that at all in both the times that happens here. First, when Anne is performing at the opera, or when the conductor played by Simon Helberg of Big Bang Theory fame manically conducts this interlude of the Sparks piece. It doesn't, it just makes sense with how heightened the entire movie is. It's, it's beautiful, it's like incredible, but it's not distracting at all. I agree. Like uh, it's, it's so good. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. You also brought up uh, them kind of just tossing Marion Cotillard out of the story, which is something that I noticed too. And it's kind of surprised and, and a little disappointed with, because I felt like it wasn't the most gripping, emotional, even justified ending to, to Henry and Anne's relationship. And then suddenly... The way she comes back That's to life it. doesn't really play a factor either. Like, her ghost doesn't really do anything. Like, the her ghost is mainly the voice of Annette and yeah. her, like, Annette as her, like, medium for vengeance. Like, she does sort of get the short... She gets, she gets shafted a little. Do you think that she needed to go so suddenly... Uh, to give Annette her kind of her power, her her majesty, and this greatness as you know, this larger than life 
ability as as a baby do you think that was just you know just just a convenience to get Annette that spotlight that there just wasn't enough room for three of them at once I think it's mainly like I think the reason she gets tossed off is because it's just supposed to be I I took it as Sparks trying to be winky and like meta like oh like Anne plays roles where she dies every single time for other people's sins and there's literally that like motorcycle ride where it has all of those roles where she dies every single time and now it's like she is she dies her vengeance or her ghost appears literally and through a net and that to me is the point of the movie where it switches from being that sort of meta mode to fully delving into whatever darkness the movie has and it does in some ways feel like it, it does feel like it delves it's less meta at that point but the her death still feels tossed off. It that's I think that's undeniable. Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense thematically that she is to die here. But yeah, I think the the execution is is, is quick and not super emotional. Surprisingly, or she just it, falls it off. Mm-hmm. It's like literally a bang, and she falls off. Yeah, which. <laughs> I mean, thinking about it now, it, it really, because it's on the yacht and she falls off and you have this huge storm and then uh, Henry and Annette end up on this rock uh, that's on the, on the glistening water with the moon above it. It does, it does create for some striking images, of course, because of, of course it does. So <laughs> I, I wonder if that was the priority simply. I, I don't I'm now curious I, to how how they decided things like this because if my if my understanding of the history of this movie is correct the sparks wrote the entire movie and then just gave it to Carax in like later in the process so it's hard for me to tell hmm. what was decided when like I think like Leos was not involved at all in basically in the writing of this movie. Um, they, the Sparks had wanted to get this made for like a super long time. And then they, I think they definitely knew of Karax before, but I mean, in Holy Motors, there's literally a scene where a Sparks song is played. It's the, um, it's the, the, the sequence where he is the dad driving the, um, driving the daughter back from the, the party. There's a Sparks song playing in the um, playing on the radio, and I think they must have maybe. I think I think my understanding is that somehow after that, plus like seeing his visual style, they decided that he was the person to direct the sort of unconventional music that they wanted to make. So they like handed it to him, and I think Kurax is someone who from his other movies like Holy Voters is not someone who cares much about the storytelling per se. Mm -hmm. He is someone, I actually literally pulled this quote today. Um, I literally pulled this quote from him today in an interview where he says, um, he he literally says like, I'm not a storyteller. He, I compose emotional scores with like movements that flow into minor and major keys. I feel like an imposter when I have to speak. That's what the camera is for. 
So like I, I, I almost have the, have the feeling that this was in there, the Sparks Brothers, this is their first time writing anything even remotely similar to a screenplay. And Leos was just like, I'm gonna do whatever the crap I want visually with this because this is so out there and I feel like I can have fun with this. And all that <laughs> is very <laughs> is very enlightening as to why, despite you know enjoying some parts, it, it I struggle to connect with it overall because I think in the end, I really am there for story, and I oftentimes that manifests itself in in dialogue and character interaction, but it doesn't have to. Uh, as long as it's really just, I don't know, that, that's, that's what I attach to in movies is, is mm -hmm. story. And yeah, when he says it feels bad to me when I have to prioritize story, when I really have to think about storytelling as opposed to, to just emotion and, and images and, I think that that that'll yeah. that ex that explains a lot in terms of my connection to the movie. Yeah, I mean, I I when I had literally the exact opposite reaction when I read that, I was like, oh, like that is what I connect to in movies. It's like emotional tenor and like rhythm and like visual rhythm and how that like melds. So I guess I guess that's where the disconnect is. But I mean, come on, the visuals, I feel like there's so many moments in this where I just like gay gasped in the theater. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know, I, I think the first, maybe it starts from the very beginning, but like, I can't stop thinking about we love each other so much. And like Adam Driver's like ghostly hands behind, behind Marion's back. Or like that shot of their like, their hands, like, on um, unclasping, mm -hmm. just beautiful stuff. All it's the rear there. projection. Oh, oh, it's so. It's. I mean, it's the entire thing. It, it's. It's hard to like, single stuff out because I just start listing like the entire thing. <laughs> All the like overlaid imagery, or just like like oh like shit like we haven't even thought like the baby Annette's performances. Come on, that montage is beautiful. How did you feel about them keeping Annette like hidden for so much of the initial performances? It's like you can't, it's hard to see. What do you mean? Well, now, now I wonder because you have seen this movie 300% of the times that <laughs> I have. But I, if I remember, it's, I feel like at least in the initial performances, you can't really see Annette and it's you just hear you just hear her voice. Isn't it just, I thought it was just Adam Driver takes away her uh, wink, wink, her like little like ape puppet or whatever. And then it just cuts to her like floating in the sky with a marionette performance. And then it cuts to sort of like an extreme longer shot watching from afar. And then it goes pretty swiftly into a montage of baby Annette becoming famous and <laughs> the like yeah, close up like we that's I think that's the most of I think that's all the performance of hers that we get but I think 
you can generally see everything that's going on for most of it. And there's definitely a huge like extended segment at the beginning where like the moon comes out and baby Annette is like floating in the sky in like medium shot, I think. Yeah, I will, I will certainly default to you because <laughs> you sound a lot more confident and rightfully so than, than I am about that. Um, and then, yeah, and then it all comes to a head at the hyperbole. Uh, <laughs> how did you think uh, that went as, as kind of a climactic or also anti-climactic set piece? I mean, it makes sense. Um, we did talk about this offline about why they called it the hyperbole. And literally when I heard it, I was like, oh, hy- hyperbole. But, <laughs> but I don't know. That seems a little... T- I don't want to say it seems a little cheeky for the movie, but it it doesn't fit at all in my head, really. Like, like it fits in the sense of the movie's over the top, but mm, I don't know. I mean, I think it works. It's like, it's the like Annette rebelling, taking back some of her own independence on the way to becoming a real girl. And it also gave us the announcer who says, baby Annette. <laughs> so that's always a plus. The way he says, baby Annette is a baby after all, cracks me up every single time. <laughs> and you get the huge, um, whatever like spire thing that she stands on. That's drama. That's drama. Yeah, right I agree. There. I agree. That's real drama. It sets up it sets up the ending well. And I think that's all it needed to do. That it does. The ending, sympathy for the abyss. Song uh, of the summer. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? I have to say that was certainly my favorite song uh, on in the movie and on the limited soundtrack that oh, has been released. Only 15 songs. Man. Hopefully we'll get a complete update sometime in the future. Uh, do you have any other favorite song with Sympathy for the Abyss? You were number one as well. and Yeah, Sympathy for the Abyss. I'm going to be basic. Also, we love each other so much. Mm-hmm. But I cannot stop listening to She's Out of This World. Um, there's, there's that synth like at the beginning that it's crack. Um, also, you used to laugh. I find myself partial to that one. I wish, well they, I wish as... they had that first. Uh, that first. Uh, the first laugh. one's so good. That would be better. I mean, it's yeah, literally it's a such a travesty to have the introduction of the premiere performance of Annette and then not have I the know. premiere performance of I Annette. Know. Like, wh- what? The, I mean, the conductor interlude is probably going to be one of my favorite moments of the year, movie-wise. And it's not in the, it's just not in the soundtrack. I have to um, default to Aria, parentheses, The Forest, which is also one of my favorite tracks. Those are probably my favorite ones. Um, Although Girl from the Middle of Nowhere has been stuck in my head all day today. That's... A lot of no, I mean that's I mean that's what you should be getting out of a out of a five star musical, I'd say. 
definitely some memorable music in here. Uh, I won't I was like joke about repetition and memorability. Yada yada. <laughs> yada drill. Um, yeah, Eric, you did. You had been hyping yourself up for this for quite some time, and I know you gave it five stars, but did it live all the way up to your expectations? Did it surpass? And it's crazy I can even ask that given your rating, but I, I know how how anticipated this was. So, I mean, I think this is maybe the first time ever since I started watching movies seriously where I had hyped up a movie to this degree and like, like truly felt like as I was watching it, they were like, oh, like this is in some ways exactly what I thought I wanted out of this movie. Like I had, I had managed to stay pretty much away from spoilers for this. I knew that like, I knew the gist that like he was a comedian, she was a soprano. And that was pretty much all I knew. And yeah, I feel like this is a hard movie to, I mean, like I said, it's like so much movie. So it's a hard movie to like undersell or even like imagine in your head what it could be because it's so big. And it's so big in a way that's not like, oh no, it's not too like, I guess I had like from, like I've seen all of characters other movies other than, Polar X, but it's like I feel like a lot of people who had who maybe had only seen Holy Motors might have been expecting something like maybe for part of the reason this isn't getting as like rave reviews as a lot of like I think maybe they're expecting something weirder. Whereas I feel like this is a movie that's so big, but still in my mind like sticks pretty strictly to like straight melodrama. It's like not weird. It's not very weird in my mind. That was a tangent that didn't make any sense, but it, it was as big as I thought it was going to be, I guess. This, and that's, that's basically all I wanted. I expected like virtuoso directing. Like I expected, I was a little nervous. I wasn't gonna like the music because I tried to, I tried to listen to some Sparks like the week before it came out. And I, I really liked some of it. I mean, obviously as you saw the musical, like some of the music isn't i i take issue with people saying the music is quasi melodic because the music still seems pretty pretty melodic to my ears at least i i never got that sense but their music is like like slightly more experimental than like general pop i'd say mm -hmm. so maybe i just need to listen to it more but i was pretty nervous that i wasn't gonna like the music but then i i got there and i was sold immediately and then i mean i think the main thing is it's so big and so immersive that I at a certain point stopped thinking about like anything like I, I was just in it you know and I feel like that rarely like especially like I generally tend when I hype up movies like this I tend to get very like nitpicky in the theater where all I can think about is like is this living up to my expectations like oh like this is supposed to be this huge theater moment for me like am I feeling this way like I'm in my thoughts a lot Whereas with this movie, pretty much by the time um, Henry McHenry's like had started like his show, like I had gotten out of that mode, and I and I think that just let it just like take over. Well, I don't think you can ask for much more than that out of any movie. 
no like less. truly something you maybe the best theater experience so I've ever had like almost easily the best theater experience I've ever wow. had wow uh, and just wait till you see it in LA it's gonna be double even better I mean I generally like I perversely enjoy um watching movies sometimes like movies that I end up really loving a lot of times on my own screen because it feels more intimate but this is a movie that feels intimate but is also meant to be to, like feel so huge so it, it just worked but, yeah well there you have it uh if you have anything else to say eric now's the time if not then um, i'll have to say so may we end um, but all I, I have to say is first. I'm sad we didn't get to Marion's dresses because I can't stop thinking about that blue dress that gets played in Something's About to Break, which would be one of my favorite songs if it were on the soundtrack. <laughs> I, you that could actually listen head, to it. It's not, I cannot listen to it. That blue dress or like her hair and that little dress in the forest or, or like all so good, so beautiful. That is my closing statement. <laughs> That's how I'm ending this with Marion. I'm going to give Marion the credit she deserves on this podcast because she was quite literally thrown out to sea in the movie. That she was. Um, she, one last thing that uh, I think is worth mentioning is just the singing itself. Um, I think Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard are good singers i don't think they're great singers did that bother you at all especially considering that this was a sung through musical um no i mean like i i think of this as you as i said before like more in terms of a melodrama it's people like speaking their thoughts with song as like like as like emotional outburst as opposed to structured song in, in my mind. So I, I, in that case, it doesn't matter to me. Like there's no pre, like there is pretense of this as a performance, but more of like a theater sort of melodrama performance more than anything else. I think what's also interesting is I, I think as opposed to a lot of other musicals, every single song in this movie is sung live. So there's no like lip syncing in this movie. So, so I think that adds, a li- there's something raw about that. Like you can definitely tell that in this, in this movie and, and in like Holy Motors too, when Kylie Minogue sings, there's something very raw about the sound of their singing that I think works to this movie's advantage. And it makes all of them singing while doing sex scenes even funnier. Yeah, I'll say it did not bother me either, but I... I, I think also just generally I don't. As long as you're a good singer, that's that's. As good long as you can, as long as you're in tune. Like. Yeah, yeah. I think some some people, I think who are more uh, musical than than I might take issue with so much singing going on. That's not, you know, the, the that's not coming from you know singers the adam driver is not a singer he's an actor who who can sing right um but did not did not bother me and hopefully you audience member when you see annette if you have I mean, literally Annette, like it won't run, bother you. don't walk 
run, don't walk. Like if you're waiting until August 20th for this to drop on Amazon Prime, I guess Delta is sort of bad right now. So I don't want to say run, don't walk <laughs> to the theater. But if you are vaccinated and you wear a mask and you feel comfortable doing so, you should probably see this in the theater. How about that? How about that? I think that's... Then how about Olympic fast walk with a sense of urgency that still conveys a sense of caution? Right down the middle. Annette is, as we said, currently available in theaters and will be available on Amazon Prime on August 20th. So I definitely think you should catch up on it. And after you catch up on it, join me on my next hype train movie, <laughs> which is Days. But I now, won't talk about that too much. Now, right is now. Days one of those movies where if you see it with a friend, your friend will walk out and say, wow, you hyped that up so much and it was boring? I, I mean, I sincerely hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, abs- absolutely. But come on. How can you say no? (laughs) We will be back next week with another episode. And thank you for tuning in this time. I'm very glad you're here because this is, I think, the only time I've given a five-star movie to a contemporaneously watched movie. So that's a first for me. A special moment in history. You're here for that. This is have a movie that maybe if we went back in time and went on the first episode, maybe I would talk about, you know? Wow. Episodes, episode zero. I mean, one. since Inside Lewin Davis got thrown to the wayside, got dethroned. Like Anne, just overboard. Like Anne. There's nothing sacred to you. I Actually, that is a moment of comedy. When she goes, my voice is hurting. It's nothing sacred to you. <laughs> That's comedy. But apparently nothing is sacred to us because we now have to end the podcast. Once again, thank you for coming and we hope you'll listen again soon.